What's going on, everybody? Another great week of college football as usual. Today, we're going to be talking about some myths, debunking those myths, a little bit of playoff talk, and mostly we're going to get into some teams that have quit on the season. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Michael Kirkring here. Let's Talk College Football Podcast. And, well, it was a pretty fascinating weekend. I'm stoked as a Knowles fan. Took down Miami. What a game. One of those years where the two records of the teams didn't matter that much in the national picture, right? When RG3 is uh, calling your game, that's not the best of news for where you stand in the national spotlight, and no offense to him, and I actually don't mind him that much, but (laughs) some people were complaining about having to hear him call the game. I don't mind it, Um, and he's awesome. But anyway, it still is kind of a notion of where you stand, and that's just the reality right now for those two programs. Nevertheless, it was a classic Florida State-Miami game, so that was fun to watch. It was one of those pretty awesome days of college football where you got two to three Awesome games in each time slot. So for me, as a nerdy fan, you know, wake up, game day, big noon kickoff, and then you've got the noon slot of games, which featured Michigan-Penn State, which was awesome. It featured Baylor-Oklahoma, which was also awesome. Those Both those games were super entertaining and had huge postseason implications, whether it's New Year's Six Bowls, conference championship races, playoff berths, all that stuff is on the line. So you got all that phenomenal stuff at the 12 o'clock slot. Also had Auburn, Mississippi State, which was really interesting. Crazy game, by the way, but that also fell in that slot. 3.30 was big because you had you had Iowa State, Purdue, right? Purdue being the spoiler makers this year, knocking off top four teams. Could they do it again? No, they didn't, but an interesting game that you wanted to pay attention to. Iowa, Minnesota was big because to me that was one one of those teams is probably going to win that division. Obviously, now it all comes down to the Iowa-Wisconsin game, which is typical Big Ten West college football season stuff right there, right? Then you had Georgia-Tennessee, which that was very interesting for me because I thought Tennessee was the last team left on the schedule that had a chance to beat Georgia. I wasn't expecting it at all, but the last team that had a chance, and that game, to me, did say a lot about Georgia. Um, so that was really interesting. And then, of course... Florida State-Miami was at that game. For me, the most entertaining game as as a Florida State fan, but as biased as I am with my team, I'm just as biased when it comes to paying attention to the landscape of college football. And although I was watching Florida State-Miami, I was paying very much attention to those other 3.30 games. Then the 7 p.m., oh, also around 4, you know, Michigan State-Maryland was intriguing. You know, Maryland was like a 4-3 and team. They had a winning record. And Michigan State, some people are like, how good are they? Well, they took care of business. 
you, you know you're entering that pretty good category team when you're ranked high, right? You're like a one-loss team right now, like Michigan State is. Some people question your talent level, though, overall. Like, can you hang with the big boys? Well, one thing that separates you is when you go play teams with winning records that, you know, they might not be ranked, but it's not like a cupcake game. That's what Michigan State had, and they and they pretty much dominated. So that was impressive to me. Texas A&M will miss. Really exciting. Didn't quite go the way I think a lot of people expected, I think a lot of people expected a higher scoring game. With AM's defense, I wasn't surprised that they were able to keep the, the score a little bit lower. I was surprised that Ole Miss's defense, though. I mean, you almost have to say they were the best performing side of the ball in the whole game because, I mean, AM's offense that entire first half was just couldn't do anything. Of course, Jimbo Fisher makes adjustments. He came out, they got things rolling a little bit, and then it was turnovers there at the end. Not the worst turnovers. The turnover that sealed the deal was an interception. And basically what happened was the defender made a great play because it wasn't like an absolute perfect throw. The throw was slightly behind the receiver. I mean, that was like an NFL moment where literally the quarterback places that ball about a foot and a half to the right. The receiver makes the catch for a first down. It's just barely behind him and that defender's in a position to get the interception. It was a pick six. That kind of sealed the deal. And now there goes AM's chances of winning the SEC West. Ole Miss's chances are kind of already out because Alabama would have to lose twice. And now that it appears that Bo Nix, the Auburn quarterback, has broken his ankle and will be out for the season, I'm not expecting Auburn to play Bama close anymore. I think we all thought the Iron Bowl, right? That was either going to put Auburn in the SEC driver's seat if AM lost, or it was going to put AM in the driver's seat if they could win that game because AM has that head to head. But now, basically, Bama is almost in complete control of winning the division. They could even lose one of these next two games and still win the SEC West. So that's kind of an issue if you were hoping for some shakeup there. Um, 7.30, right? Notre Dame, Virginia. Really impressive win by Notre Dame going to Virginia, who's not a bad team. They didn't have Armstrong, their awesome quarterback, and I do believe this game could have been a lot closer had they had him, but the talent gap is there, right? Notre Dame is very good, and what sucks for Notre Dame is as soon as they lose a game, we know there's almost no way they can make the playoff without that conference championship game, right? This is one year where Notre Dame would benefit tremendously from being in the ACC again, especially with the ACC being down. I mean, who would Notre Dame be in competition with in the ACC? Maybe Wake Forest, maybe Pitt? Talent-wise, Notre Dame is better than those teams, right? With Clemson being down, Florida State still being in the gutter as far as wins, losses in the conference, Miami not being great. Like, if if Notre Dame was in the ACC this year, they're probably still have the same record. I mean, they play almost as many ACC games as a full member, right? And they'd be going into the conference title game 11-1 and with a chance to play, like, a Wake Forest, they win that game, they're probably going to the playoff. So, but because they're not in a conference and we know that 11 and 1, 90% of the time isn't going to get you in because we know every 12 and 1 team will get selected above you, right? That extra data point, that conference championship game, that matters to the committee and it matters to most fans. So, unless a bunch of teams have two losses, they can't really get back in this conversation, right? Especially with now Cincinnati out there. So, 
But nonetheless, Notre Dame's a good team. They won that game. Keeping the ACC, Wake Forest, NC State was a really good game. NC State has good players, right? NC State is a good team. They've got good talent around them. And Wake Forest beat them. I mean, that was just a good game. These are probably the two most talented teams in the ACC. And it's weird to say that about Wake Forest, but they have developed players that are at this point, now that they are super seniors, right, been in the program for four years, all of redshirted, it's a veteran, veteran offensive line, a very smart, intelligent, good quarterback, they've got good receivers, I mean, this Wake Forest team, the way they can score, their offense is no different to me than some of these, you know, dangerous Oklahoma teams we've seen in the past, a lot of these, you know, more Big 12 style offenses that can score, their defense is not great, but good enough, and Here's another thing I want to address now. Let's move on and debunk some of these myths, right? I'll come to Wake in a second, but the myth that Oklahoma and the Big 12 playoff hopes are done. To me, that's a complete myth, an absolute myth. In every single year, we act like these rankings, these playoff rankings have never happened before and we've never seen the change-ups. And we, during the first you know, three, four weeks of the playoff rankings prior to the conference championship games, we always act like they're ranking teams a certain way in a way that prevents teams from jumping each other, right? We always act like that's the case. And then all of a sudden, conference championship week, when teams do jump each other, we're like, well, yeah, they got the conference championship. No, duh. And it's like, again, it's all just part of this whole stupid ESPN trying to make it like a game show, like pump up the ratings, make it a thing that you talk about. I get it, right? But Oklahoma lost, right? And now you got people, Heather Dinich, who I greatly respect, um, love her reporting, but just I'm just using her as an example. People like her, they're coming on and they're like, oh, this, this loss was terrible for Oklahoma. The, the committee already didn't respect them at nine, having them ranked eighth or ninth or whatever it was when they were undefeated. Now that they've lost, like their playoff hopes are done. And that means the Big 12's playoff hopes are done. That's not true at all, guys. We've seen this story a million times. If Oklahoma wins out, or Oklahoma State for that matter, if you win the Big 12 at 12 and 1, you have a really good chance of making the playoff. It's not guaranteed because there's we've been there's five conferences and Notre Dame out there and only four spots. So in the beginning of the season, there's no such thing as really controlling your own destiny, other than maybe the SEC and Big Ten, right? We know that they're going to win, especially SEC, all the tiebreakers. So if there were ever four or five undefeated teams out there, we know the SEC one would be a lock. Whether you agree with that or not, that's how it goes, right? When everything's even, they're getting that tiebreaker. If there were five 12-1 conference champions and even an undefeated group of five team out there, we know the 12-1 SEC champ would be the lock, and that's where the debate would start going from there, okay? We know that. But we know that 12-1 and one conference champions have a super legitimate shot to make the playoff, right? I think if you go back and you look at the data, 12-1 and one conference champions have made the playoff like 80% of the time because the only teams that have ever been selected over 12-1 and one conference champions or 11-1 and one conference champions when the Big 12 didn't play that game yet have been other 12-1 and one conference champions, or undefeated conference champions. It's the only time that that's ever happened, right? Like, 
let's look back real quick at all the times that this has happened to a conference. Okay, so the first year of the playoff is the best example, where the Big 12 had two 11-1 teams, Baylor and TCU. Baylor had won the head-to-head. Now, they were finishing really strong. They were blowing teams out. There was no rematch that they could go in the Big 12 championship game, which probably would have got one of them in over Ohio State, believe it or not, at that time. But what happened was they didn't get it. Undefeated Florida State was a lock. They were the team that people didn't trust, weren't playing well, but undefeated Power 5 would never get left out. If you think that's possible, you've never watched college football in your life. Okay, I don't care if it would have been Wake Forest this year, whoever, undefeated Power 5 champion, no matter their schedule, no matter how they're looking, they're going to the college football playoff. Don't even question it, okay? Florida State was the lock. Alabama was a 12-1 SEC champ. That got them in. Oregon was playing really well, blowing teams out. They only had one loss to Arizona, which they avenged in the conference title game, blowing out Arizona, who was ranked in that game. So it looked like they were in, and the fourth spot was kind of up to debate. Ohio State went to a conference championship game against a ranked Wisconsin team, blew them out with their third-string quarterback, looked like a dominant team, while Baylor and TCU just finished out regular season games that weekend, only played 11 games. So that year, yes, a, a conference championship team with one loss, Baylor or TCU, let's just call it Baylor because they had the head-to-head, they got left out. And it was like, hey, without that conference championship game, you don't stand a chance at all. Right, Even though the next year, Oklahoma did make it without the Commerce Championship game yet. In 2015, you had an 11-1 Oklahoma team make the college football playoff. But that's because what else happened in 2015? No one came out of the Pac-12 with one loss or less. So the Pac-12 was out. In 2015, you also didn't have a Notre Dame team that was threatening. They were good that year. They lost their last game to Stanford. right? And that actually mattered that year. That mattered because Oklahoma didn't have... A conference championship game. I think at the end of 2015, if I'm not mistaken, Notre Dame went into a Stanford game at 10 and 1. They lost that game, which dropped them to 10 and 2. Had they finished 11 and 1, there would have been some serious debate between them and Oklahoma for that fourth spot, right? And because Oklahoma didn't have that extra game yet, the Big 12 hadn't done it yet, that would have been a big deal. Notre Dame drops, so that's why 11 and 1 Oklahoma goes. Pac 12 at 8 itself. Stanford won the Pac 12. And I think they ended up, you know, going and dominating the Rose Bowl, but they had the two losses. So it was kind of an easy time that year, right? 2016, same thing happens. 2016, a mediocre Washington team, not mediocre, they were very good. I don't want to twist my words, but a Washington team that lost to the only good team on their schedule, right? Washington lost to three loss USC, who went and won the Rose Bowl that year, right? That team, because they were 12-1, and Pac-12 champions, They were right there in the mix. Undefeated Clemson was in. One loss Alabama. SEC champ was in. And then this is where things got interesting, right? The committee didn't put two loss, a Big Ten champ, Penn State in. They said, hey, the two losses was too much. And they put the one loss Ohio State 11-1 team in above them. The Big 12 had, had eight itself that year, right? In 2016, Oklahoma did win the conference, had two losses. So you can go down the years. This is how it's always been, right? The same thing happened in 2017. All of the one-loss Power 5 conference champions made it. All of them. Because there was only three of them. Georgia had won the SEC at 11-1, right? Avenging the Auburn loss. They were in. Oklahoma was 11-1. Big 12 finally has their conference championship game. They're in. And Clemson had gotten upset by somebody. I think it was 17 the year they lost to Syracuse or maybe Pitt, whatever it was. 
right? And they got back in there. And then also, none of the other conferences produced a one-loss champion. So Alabama did the Ohio State thing from the year before, and they got in at 11-1. and one. And we all know the story, right? 2018 is now where things got pretty interesting because two things happened. We finally had a 12-1 conference champion get left out of the playoff. And that was a pretty good Ohio State team, right? We also had an undefeated group of five, a good undefeated group of five school, UCF, get left out for the second year in a row. The second year in a row. Now, the reason Ohio State got left out is because Alabama was 13-0 SEC champs in. Clemson was 13-0 ACC champs. They were in. Notre Dame was independent 12-0, and being undefeated, that locked them in. And then the debate came down to Oklahoma 12-1 conference champion from the Big 12 or Ohio State 12-1 conference champion from the Big 10. Georgia was kind of in the debate. But they were 11 and two. They had lost Alabama, and the yes, you know, with the two losses, you couldn't get in. I know they finished above Ohio State in the rankings, and everybody thinks that was the committee saying, "See, they Georgia was ahead of Ohio State. They would have gone before." But I honestly believe that had Oklahoma like lost the Big 12 championship or something, it would have been Ohio State over Georgia. But that's neither here nor there. This is the first year a 12 and one conference champion, a 12 and one conference champion who played in a conference championship game was out. And that's because Notre Dame did their thing, right? Notre Dame has a loss that year, 11-1. and one, They would finish behind Ohio State. And the other important thing in 2018 to remember is UCF finished 8th. 8th when it's all said and done. And this was the second year UCF went undefeated, not the first year. That should be super telling for Cincinnati right now. Because the other unfortunate thing for the group of five schools is it's all about the second year that you're good. The first year you're good, you start so low in the preseason, so off the radar that unfortunately it doesn't allow for you to kind of come in, break into the system and then actually go up into the top you know, five. The first year, 2017, undefeated UCF was number 12 going into the postseason, 12. And then they have all that hype. You know, they claim the 2017 national championship. They had a great team. A lot of that team comes back, including the quarterback. And in 2018, they go undefeated again and still can't get higher than eighth. Two loss Michigan finished above them. Two loss Georgia finished above them. And then one loss Ohio State, Oklahoma finished above them. And then, of course, the unbeatens, Notre Dame, Clemson, Alabama, all finished above them that year, right? So the only time we saw an 12-1 conference champion get left out of the playoff was because there were too many other teams ahead of them with the same or better record also from the power five, right? Now that year it was Notre Dame that played an important role. This year, Notre Dame already has a loss. So Notre Dame is not going to bump out an Oklahoma this year, an Oklahoma State this year, an Oregon. That's not going to happen. And we're in a, we're in a position right now where the SEC champion is going to be either undefeated, Georgia, or 12-1 Alabama. The winner of that game is a lock. Now, I think what's scaring a lot of people is the Notre Dame factor here, and I don't agree with this, but the Notre Dame factor here could be if Georgia lost, a lot of people think they're still a lock for the playoff. Now, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think any 12-1 conference champion deserves to go over any 12-1 non-champion, right? I think if you're both 12-1, that should be the tiebreaker. A lot of people don't agree with that. They're just like, Georgia's would be one of the best four teams just because they lose to Bama, maybe in a close game SEC title. I mean, 
I kind of go either way on that. At the end of the day, they're both 12 and 1. So it's like, whatever. But let's just say that Georgia wins out, make things easy. So you have a 13 and 0 Georgia team lock. Bama with two losses knocks themselves out. Yes, that does knock them out. Let's, I don't care if that's the closest, craziest game we've ever seen. Bama with two losses does not make the playoff over Ohio State or Michigan with a loss, Oregon with one loss, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State with one loss. I wouldn't even take them over Wake Forest with one loss, okay? Any Power 5 one-loss champion deserves to be in over a two-loss team, period. And the committee has set that precedent. They could have made that rule different in 2016 and put Penn State in, but they didn't which is why they couldn't put Ohio State in in 2017. They had to put Alabama back in. And if they shift that narrative now, this year, in favor for the SEC, when the SEC is a two-loss team, all of a sudden that rule changes. They're going to lose all credibility. They don't have much credibility left. A lot of people are very frustrated with them. And to me, that would be the breaking point, the absolute breaking point. However, because of the conspiracy theory that I do believe in this year, I wouldn't be surprised that if that happened because there's really nothing that's going to make the other conferences cave to the 12-team playoff model faster than screwing as many of those other conferences out of the playoff as possible, right? So if, if two SEC teams go this year, Pac-12, Big 12, one of them's probably getting screwed even though they're going to have possibly a 12-1 champion and that's going to make them go, okay, forget the Alliance, forget trying to screw the SEC over and get this eight-team playoff model that everybody in college football knows is better than a 12-team model. Let's just go to the 12-team model because we can't afford another year where our champ doesn't, doesn't get selected, right? And th- I do believe that. So, But if you take the conspiracies out of it, how it should work normally, that's what would happen. So anyway, that whole rant was basically to come back to the fact that it is a myth to say that Oklahoma and the Big 12, their playoff hopes are over. That's a total myth, right? Especially if you consider, let's say somebody other than Ohio State wins the Big 10 at 12-1. and Let's say Michigan or Michigan State is a Big 10 12-1 champion. Well, they're definitely probably a lock, right? So you'd have Georgia 13-0, now that Big 10 team. Well, if it's not Ohio State, then you don't have to take Oregon now with them. See, the thing of is, if Ohio State finishes 12-1, and you're not bringing them in without 12-1 and Oregon, right? That head-to-head has to matter. People would lose their minds, rightfully so. I don't care how many good wins Ohio State has more than Oregon. Like, you have the same record. You have the same accomplishments with conference championships, same record. Oregon would have to go with Ohio State. But let's say Michigan beats Ohio State. Now you're not necessarily bound to that. Now you could say, actually, we're taking Oklahoma State in Michigan. So you'd have Georgia, Michigan, Oklahoma State, and I don't know, maybe Cincinnati if they're undefeated or the Pac-12 team. Maybe it's Oregon 12-1. Maybe it's Wake Forest 12-1. Who knows, right? Like if Pitt wins out going into the conference championship week, and, and Wake Forest does, and we get some epic shootout between two top 12 teams in the ACC championship game, the winner of that's going to look a lot better than someone who lost or somebody who doesn't play. So the other thing is, is Oregon could lose, guys. Like Oregon's been in this position before, and they've choked, right? So if Oregon stumbles and gets in the Pac-12 championship game with two losses, or they lose the Pac-12 championship game to a, like maybe a Utah team that's, yeah, out of the playoff race, 
but is going to do what Oregon did in 2019, where Oregon knocked Utah out of the playoff race when they already had two losses, then bam, the 12-1 Big 12 champion, if it sets up that way in the Big 12, is right there. Now, I honestly think Oklahoma State's now the strongest team because the nice thing for Oklahoma State is if they can knock off Oklahoma, they don't have to play them again. They would have to play Baylor again, which if you're Oklahoma State, you never can beat your rival Oklahoma. So I don't think you're going to beat them twice. But if you beat Oklahoma this year, Baylor now goes to, to and uh, Baylor has to win out, obviously, which could be a challenge. But let's assume Baylor wins out. They have two losses. If Oklahoma State can knock off Oklahoma, then Oklahoma would have two conference losses. Baylor has the head-to-head. You would have Oklahoma State-Baylor rematching for the Big 12 championship, which would be huge for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State has beaten Baylor. It still wouldn't be easy. Rematching is never easy. And that's a situation where Baylor is going to be like, hey, we're two losses. We probably can't get back in the playoff hunt, but let's win the Big 12. Let's go to a Sugar Bowl. Let's Let's be spoiler, and Oklahoma State would basically be playing for a playoff spot, right? So the Big 12 is not out of it. The ACC is also not out of it. I do believe that the ACC champion, if they were, if it was one loss Wake Forest, they're at the bottom of the pecking order, right? Meaning if all the conference champions finish with a similar record, you're going to pick the ACC last. But the Big 12 could eat itself up, right? Because Oklahoma could lose again. Oklahoma State could lose again. The winner of that conference could have two losses or more. Same thing with the Pac-12. The winner could have two losses or more. Those conferences would eat themselves out, right? In that situation, you'd have the SEC, you'd have the Big Ten champion, ACC champion. If it's a one-loss Wake Forest, could be right there, right? When it's all said and done. And the, and the fact that today, Oklahoma's down below number 12 or whatever, and, Oak, and Wake Forest is going to be down there maybe below number 8-9. That doesn't mean anything. Just like Cincinnati being ranked high also doesn't mean anything. Once these conference championship games happen, everything gets moved around, right? So it's like Oak, Michigan State's below Michigan right now, even though they have the head-to-head. Well, if Michigan State wins out and Michigan wins out. So let's say Michigan wins out. They beat Ohio State. Obviously, Michigan State would too. Well, Michigan State has the head-to-head over Michigan. So even if Michigan is ranked above Michigan State going into conference championship weekend, all of a sudden, Michigan State plays in that game. While Michigan doesn't, Michigan State wins against, let's say, a ranked Iowa, a ranked Wisconsin team. They would then jump, obviously jump, Michigan at that point and be in. And any other conference champion with the same record as Michigan's also jumping Michigan. Like we've seen this happen. I just took you through a bunch of scenarios. We've seen this happen. I don't think this year it's going to be the year that everything's different. And Cincinnati gets to go to the playoff over 12 and one conference champions. I don't see that happening. So it also, another myth is that it did not benefit Cincinnati by Oklahoma losing. A better benefit to Cincinnati was Baylor losing last week, getting their second loss. Cincinnati needs teams to lose twice, not once, twice. An undefeated Cincinnati has a shot to get in the playoff over two loss conference champions. But I don't think there's a single one loss champion that wouldn't get picked over Cincinnati. And I think even a one loss Notre Dame, most years would get picked over undefeated Cincinnati. However, with the head to head this year, that's the one thing that changes it in Cincinnati's favor. But Oklahoma rebounds and finishes 12-1, and or if it's Oklahoma State, 
Oregon 12 and 1 wins the Pac-12, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, any one of those three finish 12 and 1 and win the Big 10, all of those teams in that scenario would be above an undefeated Cincinnati. That's just the reality. That's how the committee has shown us this thing works in the past. So, that's why I said before, Cincinnati has gotten more respect than any any group of five team ever has up to this point in these playoff rankings, yet we're acting like they're being so disrespected. It, it really doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, that's those are just some of the myths I wanted to tackle. Like, it makes no sense. I'm seeing it all over Instagram, all over Twitter, all over ESPN, of course. You know, oh, the Big 12's done. ACC's done. And all you can say is those teams don't control their own destiny from the standpoint that they could win out and still get left out. But there's only a certain type of team that can leave them out, right? Or, or jump them to push them out. And I don't trust Oregon necessarily or any of those Big Ten teams went out. I mean, imagine a scenario where the Big Ten finishes with two losses and the kind of they play themselves out. That could easily happen, right? Because whoever wins the East, even if they get through the East with just the one loss, they then have to go in the Big Ten championship game and that's not going to be a guaranteed win either. So... Just, it's really exciting to me. I still see about nine teams that are still alive for this thing completely, you know? So that's really exciting. There's not a clear number two team right now. That's really exciting. That's awesome. And I can't wait to see how that plays out. Anyway, I'm going to segue into another topic right now. I want to talk about teams that have quit. And again, as a Florida State fan, I can tell you I've seen this happen. In 2017, for example, Jimbo Fisher's last year, that team was very talented. Preseason number three, maybe a little too high, a little too much hype. But when did the Alabama game, number three, right? The first game that year, Alabama and Florida State play in Atlanta, number one versus number three. Now, it's a pretty close game until about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. It's a really close one-score game. Florida State loses their starting quarterback. That results in them having to bring a true freshman in that just wasn't ready. That results in them losing to a pretty good NC State team the next week. So now they're they're 0-2. I think they won a game after that, and they go into the Miami game, which was played early that year, at 1-2. Miami, the 2017 was the year that they actually had a really good year. So Miami came into that game undefeated. They win a very close game. Florida State was playing hard up until that point. They lose. They fall to one and three. Once they fell to one and three, that team basically quit. The coaches quit. The players quit. All of a sudden, a few weeks later, they're getting their fifth loss of the season, getting blown out by super inferior Boston College on the road. When Florida State, especially back then, with Jim, we're not talking the Florida State roster now. We're talking about a Jimbo Fisher loaded Florida State roster getting blown out by Boston College on the road. That's how you know a team has quit. And there's two programs specifically that I'm seeing the exact same thing from this year, Texas and Florida. These programs are in absolute shambles right now. And there's a lot of reasons why this happens, right? I also saw this happen at the University of Oregon in 2016, where you had a lot of players that had been around for the playoff run with Mariota, 2015, Oregon wasn't as good, but they were able to get that quarterback, Vernon Adams, to transfer in, and they had an okay season, like a 3-4 loss season. 2016, they 
they're just not having it. They're losing games, and you saw the same thing. Once Oregon couldn't make a Rose Bowl, couldn't make a playoff or anything, a lot of players just quit. There's this weird pride issue that these top-level players have because you don't see this happen from lower-level teams, right? Teams that are never expected to make a playoff or they're not always contentions, right? I'm talking your your Boston Colleges of the world, right? Your Kansas States of the world, right? Texas Tech, right? Whoever, name your, your mid-tier conference teams, right? Mississippi States, right? Teams that are almost never in contention to actually win, usually even their own division. They never quit on the season. They will fight to finish six and six. They will fight to finish seven and five. But these big programs, right? Your LSUs, your Floridas, your Florida States, your Texas, those players have this like thing about them where they almost feel embarrassed going seven and five with effort, right? It's like, we'd rather go four and eight and actually look bad and be like, oh, you see, we're not even playing hard. So it's not, I don't, it's this weird mind thing that I think happens with these players, right? And I think Texas, we'll start with them, has a lot of players. It reminds me of that 2017 Florida State team, right? I've, when you, when you know, when it's your team and you're watching them every week, year in and year out, you recognize those things where when you're a fan from afar, you're like, what's going on at Texas right now? What happened to Florida? Why did Florida almost lose to Sanford? Like, are they quitting, right? And I'm sure if you're a fan of those schools, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Same thing kind of with USC here. There's an entitlement when you're a player at Texas, Florida, Florida State, USC. There's an entitlement factor of like, I'm at this school. I'm here to go to the NFL, be a badass, get NIL deals now in the modern era, go to college football playoffs, go to Rose Bowls, win championships. As soon as you can't really get that in the season, it seems like a lot of these players, they don't give a damn now about what the team can accomplish. It's all about what can I still accomplish? And that's where disaster really starts to strike. So look at Texas, right? I think they're playing good. Okay, they lose to Arkansas. That sucked. But one loss early in the season, there's a lot on the table. They go into the Red River game. They play good in the beginning of that game. It doesn't go their way. Oklahoma comes back. Heartbreaking. Then again, Oklahoma State heartbreak. Now I think all the players on that team are just like, I want to score touchdowns. I want to do my thing. I need to put film on tape for the NFL. Now you start to get really mad, right? Right? If let's say maybe you're not getting the ball, maybe the stats aren't going your way, right? You're a good defensive lineman and they're running away from you and you're not getting the tackles and stats you want. When you're winning, you don't care about all that stuff. Yeah, they're not running the ball my way. I'm not getting tackles because I'm good and other guys are stepping up and my team's winning and we're going to go to a playoff maybe or go to the conference championship game. Oh, they're double teaming me at receiver and now the running back's scoring more than me, but but we're winning together. All of a sudden, you have three, four losses and as the receiver, you're just like, throw me the freaking ball. I want to score a touch. You start getting very selfish. I'm here at Texas to do this. Oh, I'm embarrassed this, right? Texas players don't go to Texas to win overtime games against Kansas. So once you're in an overtime game with Kansas, guess who has all the advantage? Kansas. Because players did go to Kansas to maybe have this Cinderella chance to upset Texas. And if you go into a game and you're not ready for a 60-minute game, and then it becomes a 60-minute game, you've already lost. You've already lost, right? Florida State losing to Jacksonville State this year. Same thing happened, right? Florida. I don't know what happened to Florida, but I know Florida has way better players than Florida State. 
I know that right now. But I don't know if I would pick Florida to beat Florida State now at the end of the year. Three, four weeks ago, two months ago, I would say Florida is going to beat Florida State at the end of the year by 30 points. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. Because although Florida is more talented, the way they're playing versus the way Florida State's playing with less talent, but they're playing with that heart. They're playing with that passion still. They're buying into this new coaching staff. As a Florida State fan, it's exciting to see, right? Because with the end of the Jimbo Fisher era and the Willie Taggart era, you had significantly better players, especially offensively, than Florida State has right now. I mean, Florida State has a terrible offense, super one-dimensional. They don't have any playmakers that aren't running backs, and yet they are still playing hard, finding ways to win, right? The defense is good. Coaches are coaching their ass off. Sometimes they're not successful, but sometimes they are, right? They beat Miami because they outcoached them and outplayed them. Miami does have better players, I think, overall, if you were just rate the rosters. Now, you can't rate heart. So if Florida State played with more heart, they won. But what's happening at Texas and what's happening at Florida right now, that sucks if you're a fan of those teams. That is harder to watch than, hey, if you're just not good, if you're losing to teams but everyone's playing hard, you can live with that, right? And that's been, a, as a Florida State fan, right, getting back to that, watching Florida State this year, other than that fluky Jacksonville State game, most of the games, Florida State just didn't have the talent to win that game. They're really not good. And you're hoping that, they can play good enough to get more recruits to come in and buy in and turn the program around. But when you're looking at Florida, it's the opposite. Florida was good just a couple years ago, right? Last year, they were pretty good. Went to the SEC championship game. This year, early on, they're playing Alabama within a two-point conversion of winning the game, right? That Georgia game was kind of close up until that weird thing right before halftime with those points being scored by Georgia off the turnovers. So they have talent to play with people. But all of a sudden, when their dreams got crushed, when they can't go to the SEC championship game, when they definitely can't go to a playoff or any big postseason game, it looks like they've all just quit. And they let Samford, Samford score 56 points on them. That is embarrassing. Texas let Kansas score, what was it, 58, 57 points on them overtime? Like, this is embarrassing. And there's only so much you can do. Now, I will say Texas and Florida are in different situations in terms that Texas has a brand new coach. It's his first year, and I think he's just weeding out the garbage from the old culture. And if I'm Texas, I'm not as worried because I think this is a result of that. Look, it was some of those guys from the old culture, whenever there's a coaching change, the players that were there from the other team, some of them buy in, some of them don't, some of them half buy in. I think Texas had a lot of players that half bought in to the new culture. However, once they started to lose and those players dropped into their selfish ways, they're not bought in anymore. I mean, that's why you had the, the viral video from the Texas you know, defensive coach last week going viral where he's screaming basically, get in the transfer portal. We don't want half of you here, right? They're there to clean house. Sarkeesian just spent time at Alabama, right? He had been a head coach before. He's experienced. I mean, if Sarkeesian can't have a decent team at Texas, I don't know who could right? Not saying Sergeant's the greatest, but he has enough experience, right? He's seen what Nick Saban does. When you go to Bama and you see how the best program is run, no doubt you should come in and try to implement that. Most of Saban's successors have a little bit of success because of that reason, right? Look at Mario Cristobal at Oregon. He's running that program that way. Recruiting is everything. 
and they're playing a certain way with a certain type of attitude. Look at Kirby at Georgia. Look at Jimbo Fisher, the way he turned Florida State into that program and what he's doing at A&M. These coaches know how to do that. And sometimes you got to get rid of these people that were bought in. Texas went through almost 15 years of mediocrity, but entitlement type players. Charlie Strong couldn't turn it around. Tom Herman couldn't turn around. And I think Sarkeesian is coming in and saying, I'm turning this bitch around and we might lose to Kansas this year because I am kind of forcing these losers, right, as the defensive coach called them, off of campus. Get out. Get in the transfer portal. I don't want you here. I would rather have less talented players bought in. And look, Florida State's a good example of that. If Florida State and Texas played right now, I don't know. Would Florida State win? I think there's a really good shot because I'll take the Florida State roster who's playing their guts out, their heart out for their coach with less talent than this Texas roster or this Florida roster that obviously kind of has quit on the season and is not playing hard for their coach at all. Florida's in a much more dangerous situation because their coach is already there. Their coach already kind of did rebuild them. So that reminds me a lot more of Florida State in 2017. And when you lose a culture as a head coach, it's really hard to get back when you've already been there and established it, right? Florida has nothing going on for them in recruiting right now. Absolutely nothing. There's no one in their recruiting class that's exciting. So it's worrisome. I don't know if they're going to fire Dan Mullen. I think some people want that. Some people think if Florida loses to Florida State, they will fire him. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say, I don't, I don't know what they should do, right? But I can tell you based on situations at my team, when it, when a coach loses control of the locker room like that, it is so hard to get back. And sometimes it is better to part ways. I still think Mullen's a good coach, but due to the fact that there's nothing exciting in recruiting coming in, I mean, how good could Florida really be next year? And I will say this is a consequence, again, of the culture that we don't like when teams don't treat bowl games with respect, right? Florida got their ass kicked by Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl last year, or, or sorry, not the um, Orange Bowl, whatever game, Fiesta Bowl, they lost to Oklahoma. And they were like, well, we didn't even play hard, right? Kyle Pitts set out, like for us, the season ended conference championship week, right? So Dan Mullen, the head coach said that. So if your head coach is already saying, we basically, if we can't make this championship game, we don't care. Well, then can you blame his players now? For that and all you Florida fans that were like yeah see like we didn't even play hard against Oklahoma like we we our season ended at SEC championship week well then guess what your season ended this year when you lost to Georgia so why are you even mad about losing to South Carolina and not finishing the season strong you can't win the SEC so who cares of course you care because it's embarrassing and that's not what college football is about Florida could have two losses play their way into a big bowl game still and win that means something but you guys decided it doesn't mean something one thing I respected about Florida State, right, going back to my team, especially in the Bobby Bowden days, but even Jimbo Fisher, right, the years where we didn't make the college football playoff or didn't make a national championship game, we still went to a big bowl game and tried to play hard, right? 2016, Florida State could have quit that year, right, because they lost a couple games. Then they lose to Clemson and just like Florida losing to Georgia, okay, we can't win the ACC, we can't go to the playoff now, but we can still finish with 10 wins. We can still beat our rival, Florida, and we can go to an Orange Bowl. They did. Okay, now we're in an Orange Bowl playing a good Michigan team. This is what college football is about. That was a great game. Florida State won. And as fans, we felt awesome about beating Michigan in the Orange Bowl. That was awesome. Of course, a playoff or national championship would be better, but I'd much rather go 10-3, and three, be excited about the next year and all that stuff than throw the season away. 
I felt way better about Florida State in 2016 than I did in 2017. And if you're a Florida State fan, you know what I'm talking about. And if you paid attention to that stuff. So again, they're two different situations, but it's always really weird and sketchy and interesting when players quit on their staff. And who knows what's going to happen? Can Florida save it? I don't know. With Mullen, maybe. If Mullen was a great recruiter, then I would say he's he's got the X nose down. Like maybe he can come back and, and they'll rebound. But when your team's quitting on you, you're also not recruiting good enough players to win the SEC, then I don't know. I really don't know. Texas, like I said, I, I'm okay with because it's Sarkeesian's first year and I think he's just getting rid of bad apples in the culture. And hopefully the guys that he's recruiting are the type of guys that won't be like that, right? He knows the type of player he needs. So we'll see. And I think same thing at USC. I think if USC gets a really good coach, you might see the same thing in the first year of that coach, right? He's going to have to wean out that because I think USC and Texas are in a very similar position of like, they're these powerhouse programs. They have entitled players, but those aren't the type of guys that are going to get you to that Alabama level, that Ohio State level. Like it's a certain type of thing. So USC also needs a guy to come in, build that program and know what the heck is going on, right? So it's just an interesting topic. And it's weird given the fact that you see it happen more at these good programs that have better players. That's where you see a lot of these weird quits happen and these bad finishes where you just don't see that happen at, you know, those middle tier schools that would love to go eight and four. So they'll fight hard for that. They'll fight hard for six and six. It's just, it's weird. And a lot of that is on coaching. It's all on coaching because one, it's about recruiting. Are you recruiting the types of players that forget about their talent? Are they the types of players that are going to come to your school and play ball no matter what the record is because they're competitors? And then on top of that, are you coaching players that football matters? Or are you basically telling your guys, oh, it's playoff or bust. It's it's conference championship or give up on the season type of thing. So I think that stuff matters a lot. Anyway, that's all I'm talking about today. Wanted to get into you know the myth busting I did talk about this interesting topic. Didn't want to get into too much ranking stuff because that stuff's going to come out Tuesday night. We'll see what the playoff committee does. And maybe I'll talk about it a little bit, but getting close to the end here, guys, getting close to the end. It's getting pretty exciting, right? We still have a lot of potential shakeups that could happen. So I'm excited for it. I know you guys are too. And thanks for listening. And I'll see you guys later this week.